and welcome to another episode of the Sunny 16 podcast. Uh, it's me um, at the head of the ship this week. We're giving Aid the week off because uh, he had the distinct pleasure of talking to Anil Mystery last week. Um, but I think, I think myself and my wonderful co-host Claire have got the better one this week. Um, Claire, before we get into this, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Graham. Uh, been quite busy on different um, different projects at the moment, so yeah. Very full, very busy, but really happy to be here to uh, speak to today's super guest. Yeah, um, secret projects. I can't wait till you can actually talk about your secret projects. <laughs> it's driving me insane not being able to talk about it. Um, we should mention at the start, this is an early morning recording for us. So if we sound different slash insane slash massively incoherent, um, business as usual pretty much. But the reason we're here early in the morning is because we are online to one of our Antipodean guests, which is always a treat, and it is an absolute mm. delight to welcome to the show Angela Rosler. Um, Angela, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute delight. Now, we had hoped to talk to you back, uh, well, I think it was um, November, wasn't it? October, November? I can't remember, but obviously then everything went a bit tits up here. So this has been on hold for a long, long time. Um but it's great to finally have you here now that we've kind of built ourselves back up to speed for having guests again. Uh, you are a fine art photographer, portrait artist. Um, you have done some amazing projects over the last few years, which we are going to get into. Um, they are fairly heavy projects, so advance warning. Um, if you're listening this in the car with little ones, that you know this is going to be a heavy conversation in places, so prepare for that. But I would love to start off talking about um your photographic journey because photography has clearly been a part of your life for most of your life uh, i think you started your education pretty much looks like straight after school um and it's always been there but there's been a clear um growth and passion over the last sort of 15 20 years what what has that journey been like why has it been spurred along? And ongoing education has obviously been very important to you. Why Why has that also been such a part of it? Uh, well, I, I mean, I first went straight out of school and did my diploma, as you said, um, which was way back in the 90s. Um, and then I had a family, had children, sort of didn't touch a camera for about 10 years. Um, and then sort of things happened and things changed and I started, I took the camera up again and started, and I actually started a business doing weddings and portrait photography. I uh, did that for quite a while. I had a studio uh, here where I live um, and was quite successful and was making quite a bit of money and just really enjoying it. And I got really, really incredibly sick. I've got a, I've got Crohn's disease and it kind of floor, I ended up in hospital and I ended up having to give up the business because I couldn't take on uh, clients because you sort of have to book so far ahead. Um, and then my marriage sort of dissolved and I ended up not really knowing what to do. So I thought, well, I can't have a business, so I might go back and I had never actually done my bachelor's degree. I just did a diploma. So I thought, well, I'll go back and, and study for a while and see what happens. I'd actually considered going into forensic science. I thought, well, I'll do photography uh -huh. and I can use that as a leeway to get into science. Um, and so then, but then I start. I loved 
doing the photography degree so much that I ended up doing the three year photography degree and then continuing on to my honours and then my masters and um, this year I'm starting my PhD. Uh, <laughs> that is incredible because I mean a, a PhD so is it gonna be a PhD in photography you're doing? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the only reason I ask is because I think I think on your CV on your website it says PhD in philosophy. I was like, well, that's a hard shift. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's what that's sort of yeah. It's under that terms, but it, then it's majoring in photography, so it's it's very academic more than mm. anything. That's awesome. Uh, how because you you've got your website, and obviously we'll have links to this in the show notes. Everybody should go there and your Instagram feed, and I love. Your Instagram feed is a journey because it stretches back to, I think, um, 2012, something like that. So early 2010s, somewhere. I can't remember when it was you signed up. Maybe not quite as early as that. <laughs> You've gone right back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Lots of <laughs> kitty pics in the early days, which was great. <laughs> um, but it really does develop. And... Um, it seems that as you've gone through these various stages, your bachelor's, your master's, and now moving into your PhD, it really has moved your work forward noticeably every step. Um, is this because of what you've been learning? Is this because of what you've been pushed into uh, researching? What's driven the changes in your photography? Um, yeah, well, I think I've become more aware that the work I do has to have a reason. Um, pretty pictures aren't enough for me anymore. Everything, you know, and I'd like to make pretty pictures, but I just find that I can't, that I can't do things without that, something that's more in depth and that means something, you know. And I think, especially having done the Masters, I've realised that I have, I can have a voice with what I do and that there's things that are important to me that I sort of need to be a part of in a way you know especially like with yeah with that kind of with the work that i'm doing that i can have a voice and get that out there yeah because it's one of those things i mean we've talked a lot in the past about how important practice is with photography and i think education with photography is something that largely gets overlooked people might do some courses when they start you know but there's that feeling of well once you've picked up the fundamentals what more is there to learn? What more yeah. is there to do? Um, and I guess a, a, a lot of, from what you're saying, a lot of um, what's helped develop yourself is more thinking about why you're doing it and and also learning the skills of researching and exploring topics because that's been a large part of the bodies of work that you've put together, hasn't it? Yeah. I found when I first sort of said I was going back to uni to study, a lot of my friends were sort of laughed about it and said, you know, why bother? You can learn what you need to learn. If you need to learn anything more, you can go to YouTube or, and, you know, people were sort of saying, well, you could teach the teachers. But I found it wasn't so much, yeah, the skills. I mean, you go to uni here, over here anyway, you don't really learn the skills. It's more the research that you learn and mm. to question. And that was so important, like. It just, it's nothing that you can really learn on your own, I don't think. It's just through time and having people, you know, discuss your work. Yeah. Which is what I found so important. Yeah. And it makes such a difference as well because, I mean, I can't remember how I first came across your work, but your work is fantastic. I need to get out of there. Like, everybody needs to be following Angela and seeing what she's doing. It's it's amazing work. Um, and 
it kind of blow. I was trying to find, as I usually do when we've got people coming on, thinking, oh, I need to see other interviews you've done, see other conversations, and there's nothing out there. It's like, well, boy, <laughs> there's a lot of missed opportunities by people out there. So um, I feel very honoured that we're kind of at the vanguard of making this happen because there should be a lot more people chatting to you about what you're doing. Um, mm. Let's start talking about some of these projects. So um, in terms of let's say sort of the 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 most your more recent wave of stuff because you've done you've been doing awesome stuff for years but it has matured into uh a quite distinctive format i think is is although the work is all very different but it's all very you now um Mm. was land of blood the first kind of project like that that you undertook yes so I think this... so that was my honours work. Yeah. Um, so that was a full year of development. And that was sort of when I started realising that, you know, photography could be a lot more than just, you know, small, small projects, but that there was something that was needed to be said and that needed to, and that, and that's something that could be revealed to people that a lot of people weren't aware of as well. Mm. So talk to us about what Land of Blood is. As the, as the title suggests, it's not exactly a cheery subject matter, but it's a, a very important one. Pardon, I didn't miss. So, I didn't hear that. T- talk to us about what Land of Blood is, what that project was. Okay. Um, well, that's, it was about over here in Australia, when Australia was first sort of colonised, there was a, the original landowners, the Aboriginal people were slaughtered and massacred by the oh, thousands. And it's not really talked about. We don't discuss it over here. It's not taught in schools or anything like that. It's very sort of a, it's starting to come out more now. But back when I was at school, you didn't hear about it. And a lot of people in my age group don't even know what happened. Um, So I wanted to just help show that this is something that, you know, the white Europeans did to the original inhabitants of the world and just of Australia. And just to show and to sort of locate the areas, the rough areas of where it happened and go into the area and photograph, you know, what's left behind and what's not there anymore. Yeah. And the, I mean, your website has all these pictures on there. Can you talk about the way, because you didn't just go there and take pictures, because that, that's the thing with all of your work. It, it's very um, representational. You're trying to capture more than just, oh, here's what this place looks like. Um, yeah. So... Talk about the medium that you use, how you went about it, and and even and how you got to where it's because even having read how you've done this, I still don't quite understand how the pictures look as beautiful <laughs> as they do. Yeah, they look very painterly, don't they, Angela? They're very painterly. Mm. The images, yeah. Well, they were um, paper negative in large format with pinhole, mm. so it's just sort of throwing everything in it in the one thing. Um, so they would often be minutes um i think i can't remember how long the longest ones were they were usually sort of we've got pretty bright sun over here so they were usually probably around about between five and 17 minutes Mm. most of them um and paper negative of course is very low iso so be looking at iso six for most of those um and i mean the majority of the work was in the research that was so much research to try to find these locations and because everything is so hidden from history mm. um but once i found them i we'd i'd go out to these areas and set up i had um i was using the intrepid four by five uh and the pinhole that they made as well and um so the and the 
uh, paper nebula with that one. Um, yeah, and then just sit in the landscape as the photos were taken. Um, and then I was also developing it slightly differently because once I came home to develop it, I would do it by sight and pull them out pretty quickly mm-hmm. so that they had all that um, residue and texture on there from not being developed fully. Yeah. Which gives it that painterly look. Yeah, mm. it does. I mean, they're, they're beautiful images. They are, and I guess the, the combination of the pinhole and this development technique that you've used, mm. um, they do have a very ethereal, a, a yeah. dark, ghostly feel to them. Uh, yeah, they, yeah. I, There's one I'm looking at here called Lake Colac, which is beautiful, and it's um, the story is there. It says someone was shot there, so there's obviously obviously a story there. Um, but it is. It's it's exactly that. It's very, as it's quite eerie actually. It's beautiful and it's ethereal and it's uh, eerie. It's got a, its own atmosphere. It's got a quite a dense atmosphere. It's nice. It's really nice. It actually reminds me of um, M R James. Um, I don't know if you know the Mandela. Um, M R James short stories were made in the U K into a series of like short films in the 70s and this Lake Colac reminds me of um, one called Warning to the Curious, some of the stills there, um, okay. some of the, the moving film there, it's beautiful. I kind of wanted to, I thought, you know, by using the long times, they would tell their own stories mm. as well because you get the the airflow and just, you know, and I'm sort of linking it to the past and the present as well so by i figured by sitting there for so long you've got all of time flowing by you uh and it's all being recorded on the fit on the paper even though you can't see it mm. you know everything that's there is you know and i think it's sort of the, you look at the images and you know that there's things you can't really quite see that are still there as well and that that was that was important to me that that was recorded was you know what's not just visible yeah. but what's invisible as well yeah. yeah, I mean that's that's one of the uh, great things about pinhole photography, especially because it is such. It is that they are capturing a a chunk of time. There's the, that, mm. but um, like people need to see these pictures because no disrespect to pinhole photography in general, I can take or leave quite a lot of it because it looks like pinhole photography. These pictures <laughs> are more than when you um. You came up with the idea for the project, clearly. Did you go through different iterations of what the way of actually recording it would be, or did you have a fairly strong idea from the get-go, from from your previous experiments, oh, no, this is how I want this to look, this is how I want to do this? Um, it's a couple of years ago now, so I'm trying to think, but I did... Um, I think I always had this in mind because I was really inspired by Sally Mann's Battlefield mm. series. And... So I'd had actually had this idea to do this in mind for a couple of years before I did this, but I just didn't have the the knowledge of pinholes or paper negatives at that stage to know that that was how I could create these. But I knew I wanted to sit in the landscapes and have the um, long exposures and have that sense of time. And mm. and I think I was just experimenting with paper negatives and it was something like, this is it, this is, you know, the paper negative the, or the pinholes on the paper negatives and as soon as i saw them i knew that that was how it was going to be mm. and with this project i know that with your other work uh, as i read and i can't say that i saw it on this particular but i'm sure it is 
you um, so you did these as paper negatives. You're then scanning these in, and you do a lot of your essentially the the darkroom work on computer, don't you? You'll do your dodging and burning yeah. and manipulating. It's a very much a um, mixed media thing. So the, the final output will be uh, on a an inkjet high quality inkjet fiber based print. Um, but you've done that darkroom manipulation on your computer. Has that always been the way you've approached things? Have you always been something of a hybrid uh, artist? Well, I mean, because I originally studied in the 90s, I learned film. That was, you know, all we mm -hmm. had. So I'm a competent printer. We used to print colour, color, you know, black and white. I did all that sort of thing. And I actually had ambitions sort of straight after finishing that I wanted to be a professional printer. Mm. And then, you know, from having kids and by the time I got back into it, the job prospects were... You know, non-existent. <laughs> so, so I did. I taught myself um, Photoshop, and I find that I can do what I need to do in Photoshop just as well. I've actually got a dark room here at home set up, but I don't have the patience mm -hmm. anymore. And I find that I I've got so much more control. I'm a bit of a control freak, so I've got so much more control in Photoshop over my dodging and burning. Mm. That um, yeah, I don't. I for me, it's. Yeah, it's just it's a tool and it's the best tool for my, for the work that I do. So it makes you know it makes so much sense because as somebody who um, has big sausage fingers, like dodging and burning. <laughs> I mean, I love darkroom printing, I really <laughs> do, but I suck at dodging and burning. And I keep thinking, <laughs> no. oh, I, I if I just keep practicing, I'll get better, which I'm sure I will. But it's like how much, how many pictures do I need to ruin to get barely competent? <laughs> um, and ultimately. The output is the thing that matters. Whilst the journey mm. to get there is important, but you have to pick which steps and how you get there. And, and if there's a point of a, pa a pain point within it, that seems. Um, with this work, uh, did you get to exhibit it? Has that been an exhi exhibited in the past? And then when you did, was it exhibited with the stories and the research that you found of each of the areas? Um, the actual exhibition, the final, um, I guess, presentation of mm. this work was actually I printed it onto fabric and then sewed it into a quilt. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, hand-sewn on old um, linen tablecloths and stuff. So it was very to kind of suggest the, you know, the white colonial sort of part of it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so each of these was presented as a panel of that quilt um, and the whole quilt was hung. But um, it hasn't been shown as a as a whole as prints or anything. It's a little, it's still a bit controversial here about whether um, you know whose story it is to tell and whether it's even appropriate for me as a white yeah. person to be telling this story. So it's sort of a little bit on hold at the moment while I just you know decide you know I, where I stand within this story. Yeah, it, it, that that whole thing is such a minefield yeah. because, as you said, mm. there's a there's a long history of not talking about it, and yeah. we all agree it, it it's it's kind of bizarre that you, what you're saying about it, it being so pretty much suppressed. Um, whereas it, it feels in many ways like in this country, it's like yeah, we all know, like, <laughs> we all know we did bad <laughs> stuff over there. Guilty, we did this. Um, but that thing of who who has the right to tell this story i mean and surely yeah. in an ideal world everybody should be telling it but not all voices are equally represented god it's just no. 
it's just a minefield i i what i love about this project is that um and then i think this is the thing that's ongoing through the stuff that's followed on afterwards is that this is beautiful work which it, it people you, you want to look at you want to engage with and and then you have to engage with what the subject matter is you have to engage with what it is and so it's a great way of of making people think about things which they might otherwise just choose to gloss over and the way certainly on your website that you presented it just with the pictures and underneath just like where it is and in the briefest terms like this many people killed this and, and you there's no wiggle room there's no oh well it, you can't woolly word it away it, it's very black and white <laughs> in, in all subject matter it's it's very black and white it's fantastic um the next thing um that we should talk about uh is your um without consent project and this is a very different in terms of everything really very different um though it did lead on from this one so which is the did did doing um land of blood did that give you the confidence to go on and tackle uh without consent did it kind of go okay yes i can do this and yeah and also, because what I found was when I was doing the Land of Blood, was that I found that a lot of a lot of the massacres were started when white men would steal uh, the Aboriginal women yeah. and rape them. So I thought there's a whole story here of Australia being founded on a country of rape and sexual abuse and just that kind of and women just being taken and abused. Um, yeah. And then I started to realise that this what I needed to do was a story that was that was mine that I could own and not have to worry about it being someone else's story. Yeah. And mm. so that's where the whole without consent came from because I figured that was that was my story to tell because I'm one of the the rape victims in my yeah. series. Um and so yes, yeah, so I thought well, you know, no I can't be told this isn't my story and you know it's something that I think feel like I very strongly that I need to tell as well. Yeah. And again, what was the process so i completely understand what you're saying about, especially given the issues that you've run into with land of blood of, of do you have the right to tell a story to have a story that is one so massively life affecting that very much is yours to tell um how did you arrive at the way you have represented this and, and, and also talk about how you've represented it as well because people yeah. have to uh, well, they're, they're lumen prints, which is something I never imagined I would do. You know, it always seemed to be sort of a kindergarten-type process that you kind of just did to play with. But um, I started off actually doing the series with pinholes. I was doing it in the same, very much the same way as this. But I found that, because um, I was doing it for the Masters, and I found that the a lot of my the male lecturers and um my male sort of peers couldn't weren't un, really getting it. It was very literal. It was very much this, you know, about the location. And so I was getting very frustrated and I had a mentor who was, she's very much into uh, sort of lumen prints, that kind of thing. So she suggested I try it. And I'd actually been going past a location where one of my uh, abuses had happened and there was a weed growing and I was watching it every day. It was growing in the concrete. And mm. so I was watching this weed to see if it would survive or not. Um, and so, and it was dying. And so she suggested that I use this weed as a starter. So I kind of had to, in the middle of Melbourne, in the city, you know, try to grab this weed out of a 
you know, busy street um, and take it. And then once I did that, I, it was, yeah, this is how it's got to be. That was just instant people started getting it and I, yeah, I had no idea how beautiful lemon prints could actually be. Yeah, because that's, the, again, there'll be a link on the website, to the website, but this is a series of prints of um, rapes. What's the earliest one that you've got on there, the earliest text, the date right back, don't they, into the uh, 1800s? 1839, is it? Or, or it's I think it's something like that. Uh, I've got them here. Um, if it, yeah, 1839. Mm. Yeah. Was the original yeah. plan for them all to be historic cases? Yeah. 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 Yeah, because I'm, I'm very much interested in history. So I did want to kind of, yeah, originally it was very much early, the foundation of Australia and and bringing it back to that this had been happening since the beginning of, and I really wanted to make a story that this has been happening since early times and it just continues and the cycle just keeps on going. Yeah. You know, and it hasn't stopped really. Yeah. So, um and again, I'd rather you do this. Me, can you talk about? I mean, they, the obviously your first print was a lumen print that you made of this um, weed that was growing. Just talk about what all the rest of them are. I mean, and and can you? You've got a recording of a speech you gave on your website, uh, discussing the the ritual that you kind of go through for making these, which I found wonderful to hear. Um, so, if you could just talk about what that is and and why it is as well because as as John would say this is the kind of the good shit this is the um the thoughtfulness of, of true tr truly mindful creativity which i find just mind blowing and um yeah i would love for you to share that with us <laughs> yeah um well i'd sort of start off I, I i mean once again i start with the research into these mm -hmm. um and on it's go through all like the low the the papers back from back in that time and find find my victims and find sort of where they might have been and then i go to the location and i find a plant that's in the area because what i figure is it's sort of it's about dna that the air we breathe now is the same air that these women back then were breathing mm -hmm. and that when they walked on the soil they left traces of themselves behind as well like we all leave traces of ourselves behind that in the future will still be there so these plants are growing, you know, in these traces of these women. So if I, I take a plant from the location and then that comes home with me and then I have a ritual where I, the, the plant becomes my woman. And so I start off by, I bathe the um, piece of the, um, the darkroom paper that I'm using and that gets wet down and washed and I sort of, I start off by quite traumatising the plants. So they get washed as well, but then they get sprayed with salt water and then it all gets left outside. It gets left abandoned for 48 hours. I generally leave them out all that for. Um, and then once it comes inside, it's all done in darkness and I'm still thinking in my, like each one is my woman. So I'm making sure that that's in the very top of my mind as I'm doing them. and. It, well, everything's done with as much respect as if that woman was there with me. Mm. And so they get bathed. Once they come <coughs> inside, they get bathed and I ha I make sure everything's handled very gently and it's sort of, I it becomes more of a, um, I don't know, um, I guess it's like it's after the trauma now and that I'm 
helping them and giving them love and just helping them through the abuse. So, and they, the water, you know, I washed the, um, the paper down and just generally it's all, yeah, it is a very ritualistic thing because I'm constantly having them in mind and I'm constantly sort of, it's almost like bringing this woman back to life from history. So in, and the pictures become that part of the woman the whole time, you know, they're, they're standing portraits once they're done. And I generally tend to, I fix them. So if, as they fix, the colours change. Um, and it's all, so it's, it's a constant change. Everything's changing. The, and I figure, and it's, it's likened to abuse where every step of the way it changes you and you never, you're not the same person that you were before the abuse happened. And, you know, and it's, it's the same with my lumens. They're not the same plant. They're not the same print that, that they started off being. And you never quite know what they become. They're always, they do their own thing. And I think they're very much like, you know, like, like people because they, you, there's no way of knowing what they're going to turn out like. Um, because actually you talked about this now. What do you do with this? What do you do with the plants once you're done with all of this? Uh, they actually go out into my garden, um, and they, I put them. I've got a tree, a lemon tree that they they go underneath. They do. Uh, I mean, once they're off the paper, they're um the paper then becomes my woman. But I still. Yeah. You know, I still sort of want to treat the plants with respect. I was trying to envisage this. I just couldn't, having <laughs> having been through all that ritual with it, I just couldn't imagine you peeling them off and throwing them in the bin. It's like, no, that just doesn't, <laughs> does not seem how like this story ends. Um, no. that's, that I think is what makes this project so powerful because as you said, Lumen prints in many ways, they it's, it's very easy to write them off as, oh, this is just a children's thing. Although, I've seen a lot of beautiful work created, not just yours, but but the intent with your work, um, and the and the focus, and also the quantity of it, because you this work has been exhibited. You were able to actually have an exhibition last year, um, and yeah. seeing all of these beautiful um, prints on the wall, it part of it is just a volume thing as well because that is part of the story isn't it as you said yeah. this is this is the thing that is ongoing this is the thing that is not just oh it's part of history yeah. this is a huge thing mm -hmm. and it keeps going yeah i was going to say to you um do you have many um women who come forward to you you know current current women who want to take part and um do they find being a part of the project, um, I don't know what the right word is. Not maybe cathartic might be the wrong word. No, but I think that, that is the right. That, that, that helps them in their journey, if you like, of their recovery. Again, I don't know if that's the right word because I do think there is still a lot of stigma mm. around, um, you know, rape and sexual abuse. And quite often, I think, probably, I don't know, maybe a lot of people don't want to talk about it because I think there is a lot of stigma and quite a lot of the time a lot I feel a lot of people have, are actually pathologized and the you know um so for all those reasons it, it, it must be very hard so do people find it if they take part in your project um everyone who's been part of it so far has told me it's been a real healing experience yeah 
um, and I've actually become good friends with some of them mm. um, just from, I guess, and I've always, I've always said to people, you don't need to tell me the story if you don't want to. You can be anonymous. It can be just, you just give me a plant and just give me a date. That's all I need. I don't need anything else. But, um, you know, I've had people who've sat down and told me their story who've never told anyone before. Yeah, yeah. And then they've said to me it's it has become quite a healing experience for them. And I know one of the women who she's actually been named on this um, and at home she said that it's, allowed her to kind of close the door on yeah. that past of her. You know, it was such a big part. And she said, this is her shutting the door and walking through it and and being able to go on. And there's been a few people who said that they it's made them feel that they can go on with their lives and not have that or constantly in front of them anymore. But they've been able to sort of say it's, it's you know, it's, you know, you, you don't forget it, but that they've been able to sort of, it's not such a massive part of everything anymore. Yeah. And, and I found that too, doing it as for me, it was a, it was very confrontational, but it's, yeah, it became such a healing process that now it's like, it's a part of me, but it's not overwhelming like it was. So mm -hmm. it's, yeah, it has been, it's, it's been a, it is really cathartic. It is cathartic is the word yeah. for it because yeah. Yeah, I was in, I was interested as well because um I imagine the women that connect with you because you've got your own lived experience and I was wondering mm. for you if you're hearing their stories, how that leaves you or do you, or have you manage a way so that you can, you know you're you're not kind of affected in a in a in, in a kind of um highly emotional way if if, if I'm using the right terminology I don't know mm. yeah. Mm. No, it was a. I've it, I've had moments where it has been a bit much, and I've had to just pull back a little bit yeah. and distance myself. Um, mm -hmm. So I've sort of just, I guess, found ways of just, yeah, just making sure that I'm not too involved, that I don't yeah. take them on. They're not my yeah. things to take on. I'm I'm there to listen and I'm there to create the images, but mm. you know, I'm not there to to take it all on personally and it's I've had to learn that and I think it's it's it hasn't been too bad yeah yeah, yeah. It, it seems like such a perfect expression to take to date mm. these plants these things that are beautiful and then as you said to traumatize them and to put them to expose them to salt water and to leave them out and abandon them but at the end to have something which is is altered but still is a beautiful thing and mm. and to be able to uh, present this stuff because as you said and as clara said like rape is still one of those things that people just don't want to talk about it there there is this in, implicit taboo which is awful because it means that the rape victims just have to carry this thing internally and c can't uh, this awful trauma that you're exposed to uh, and it just sits inside you and and people, and so to present that to people who were naturally geared up to not want to confront this thing, not going to confront this, that, that on one hand they know it's happening, but they don't want to think about it. To be able to present it in a way that they can engage with, but still gets the meaning across, because it's very easy to think of a myriad ways in photography that you could present this in a way which would just make people go, no, that people, mm. you know, that people who are not ready to face it just wouldn't but 
the work is beautiful, but it is impactful and it is powerful. And, and as it grows, and hopefully it will, because it's gone from being a historic project to being something that is an ongoing thing that you are doing with women as they come forward to you now. Um, and I know that you hope to expand it beyond, because at the moment you've got all of these pictures and they're all just from the small part of the world that you live in mm. i mean crumbs mm. you're gonna need a bloody big venue <laughs> by the end of this um uh, but it's fantastic mm. um and people just need to go and look at these pictures yeah they are, they are beautiful have you have you got any more plans for exhibiting that work elsewhere as the world starts to loosen up a bit well i think this is going to be i'm going to continue with this as part of my phd yeah, because that's all about um, trauma for women. Yeah. So this is going to be one section of it, um, and it's a bit hard. I can't really do it too much out. Of, I mean, I can't really do it out of Australia because we have very strict rules about plants and mm. importations. So it does and have to be. And if I did it over you know, throughout the world, I'd just be it would there'd be too way too many. Um, but I do. I mean, my the end vision of it is to have a, a gallery and just have it wall to wall, like yeah. cover it, even ceiling, so that people walk in and it's just too much. You mm. know, yeah. I just want people to be overwhelmed and go nuts. This is just this is way too much. Even so, even now the exhibition I had, I had people crying. Yeah. Um, mm. at how many there were, and it's like I yeah. only had I think twenty something mm. at that at that exhibition. Um. You know, so if you had a, a room just full of them, it would just I just want to get that message across that this is it you know one is too many but if you can have a whole room without with very little you know i'm not really chasing them down they're all just there yeah yeah, mm. yeah. The, the i think it's a really i think it's really important as well because i feel like quite often if people go through really difficult things in their life so many people can de um dismiss their you know what's happened or um or you just you just need to get over it and i think that you know i'm sure if people could they would it's not that simple and i think that this is a project it sounds that plays its part in helping women um there's a difference i think between getting over something and learning to live with something and move forward and i think that's what it sounds like your project has a role in you know i wonder i mean given given the beautiful nature of the fact that this is a very simple process lumen prints are the easiest mm. way of making an image and the fact that it ha you have ritualized it to the extent it almost seems like because i know you're saying about the, the difficulties of traveling and all this but it almost seems like a thing that you could it, it, it could be something that people who aren't near you they could engage with it themselves it it could be a part a, a sort of self-healing thing of they could yeah. go through this thing and do this thing themselves mm. and, and it's um uh, yeah i i think it's i think it's fantastic mm. i really do and that transition from working uh and researching and presenting historical atrocities that have happened um and then bringing it forward into no these are people who are still here now who are still being traumatized uh, was was that the path that then has led you to uh, it gets a bit more jumbled now with your phd work but essentially your current work which is um largely seems to be sort of self-portraits reflecting mental health issues 
um, of, of something that is very current, very personal. Um, it was that the through path for that. Um, I'm trying to think of how that it sort of just happened. Um, I think I just wanted to do something a little bit of a take a bit of a break from. I guess it was an emotional break from the lumens as well, like just mm. needing to distance myself for a little while and concentrate mm. on on me. Um, but at the same time, I hate self-portraits. Um, I hate photography of me. I hate photos of me. That's... I'm the least. I'm so not photographed. Oh, that's um, uh, anybody. That do, I don't like that so... That's bonkers. That is, that's crazy. <laughs> and anybody who sees your Instagram feed will go, I cannot believe that um, because <laughs> these self-portraits are stunning they are amazing yeah i was but then my face isn't in any of them so that's all right i can cope <laughs> i think i think um you're your own worst critic aren't you sometimes <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm trying to do them all without my face so that they become a more a, i mean i'm using me but they're portraits of any person mm. you know so i want it to be more a and then I also wanted them, that they, I guess it started off, the project started off because I am autistic and ADD and I wanted to kind of show that um, just the way that I see the world and the way that I feel, it actually came from a, a exhibition we're doing, we're putting it on in March, um, that the, and the, it's under the title Belonging, but I sort of, felt like I don't belong. I don't really feel like I belong anywhere or to anyone. So that's where it came. I wanted to show, I thought it's important that I show what goes on in my head and how, um, I guess just say, like, it's not a bad thing that I don't feel like I belong, but to try to get people to understand that we don't all see the world in the same way. And so that's that's the the main area where that came from was sort of, exploring that that avenue which is actually the one of the reasons I actually did start studying was because I wanted to do a project on the way I see people and the way I see things and I just I didn't have the the skills or of the creative way of putting that into into play in a non like I didn't want to make it too literal and I just didn't know how to do that mm. whereas now I think I've got that that ability to do it I think that's the thing for me was was and it's the through line with all of these projects. And it is the thing that you, I can, I said, looking through your Instagram feed, which is the best kind of historical record of your recent years, but is seeing that growth. And it's very easy with all of these subject matters to imagine a less well executed version of it. it it's very easy to go on the internet and see less well executed where people have got good ideas of things that they want to represent don't have the skills to do it and it sounds very much like the education that you've put yourself through over the last few years has given you because i i've i mean and i'm sure claire you know you you think of things like, oh i want to try and represent this and then you kind yeah. of you realize oh i don't have whatever it is to do this yes um and the, these recent pictures, the, sort of the unbelonging um, series, as you're calling it, um, are yep. a great example of that because you look at them and you can you can feel the emotional kick that you're trying to pass through it. But 
it's heavy but it's not heavy-handed i don't know a better way of putting it they <laughs> it, it doesn't feel trite it it um do you find that the ideas the basic ideas for how you want to uh, represent these things come to you fairly easily um when they come to me they come very strong um i tend to think and see the world i mean it's of course it's not like you I, but um i'm dyslexic as well and so i tend to be very visual like if i read mm. i need to put things into pictures um it's almost like i have another language in my head that i everything i have to translate like it, when people talk to me i have to translate into pictures to be able to understand so when i get an image of what i want to create it's very strong because it's kind of my language i suppose mm. um and so most of these, the images just came to me so I knew exactly what I had to create and how to create it. Um, and it's, I guess that's been a recent thing as well from having learned how to do, how to actually put what's up in my head onto paper. Because mm -hmm. you know, I'm a terrible drawer. So this has, you know, <laughs> photography has to be the way. <laughs> Seems to be working out all right for you so far, I would say. <laughs> um. Do you think that uh, so the pictures that you share so far they are they are primarily around negative emotions, aren't they? The negative feelings, there's grief, there's distress, there's, there's things like that are being pictured through. I suppose at first it wasn't, and then my father actually died in December, and so that's where the grief ones came from because all of a sudden I was feeling this overwhelming emotion yeah. that generally I don't really feel emotions strongly. Um, and so all of a sudden I was experiencing emotions that I'd never really felt before and that I didn't really have a label for. Um, and so that's where the grief ones and the grief ones came from that and from just being just the frustration of the, some of the stuff that we were going through at the time. Um, and so those images, yeah, they were just, they were what I had, they were my, they were the translations in my head of my emotions. So it was a direct the only way that I could sort of express what I was feeling yeah. at the time. But I think they'll get a bit more lighter now <laughs> after <laughs> from now on. <laughs> Do you, because it is such a personal thing, and as someone with autism, um, and as you said, your, your strong emotional responses are generally not part of the autistic makeup, um, it, which I think makes it all the more impressive that. The, the images are so powerful is part of it you looking at the outside world and and trying to trying to empathize with um, empathize is maybe not the right word but because again because i know that with autism that's not one of the things it's easiest to do but just sort of look at what the world is throwing at you and go well is this how you're feeling i guess kind of um like if i think about you know, there's a photo where I'm looking out the window, um, but it's actually a backdrop of a window. And I just wanted to show the way that, I guess it's more me being frustrated at people not understanding me mm -hmm. and how I see things. The fact that it's, I don't see it as a negative thing, like I'm looking out there, but I guess, and I kind of, I guess I'm, I'm showing that people see it as a negative thing, that I'm alone or that I don't always... Um, relate to people but I don't and so I kind of wanted to get that somehow out that 
it's not necessarily a negative thing for me. It might be a negative thing for other people looking in and seeing what I'm doing, mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. Yeah. It's, it's hard to put it into words. It's Because, I, I mean, it's taken me a long time to figure out in what ways I'm different because, I, you know, no one really gives you a manual of of how you're different mm. in thoughts. It's only when you've sort of, someone says to you, oh, is that how you you think? It's like that, that you realise that you're different. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, ultimately, all any of us can know is our own lived experience. I mean, <laughs> I can't put myself into the head of someone with autism, but also mm. I can't put my head into the head, self into the head of somebody who just isn't me because we are all, <laughs> we're all different. And um, I think if you can, if you can figure out yourself, if you can figure out who you are, you should probably just consider that a win and walk away. <laughs> I think oh, trying nice. to go, trying to understand somebody else at any real meaningful level is probably completely beyond our actual abilities. But um, so where's next for you? Obviously, the PhD work is going to continue and this expression, but where will you go after this once? Because I don't think there is any, after a PhD, there's not a super PhD. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I go right back to the beginning and start all over again. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, this one's, this is going to be six years of my life. So yeah, I figure that's um quite a lot. Mm. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, COVID's changed everything. You know, because I was originally going to be teaching workshops. I actually had workshops lined up for, we have um, Big Fashion Week here. Um, two years ago, I was going to be doing um, paper negative large format fashion workshops, teaching mm -hmm. people how to do that. And that was the week that we had the huge all the lockdowns here. And, you know, mm -hmm. I don't know if you know that Melbourne was locked down for some ridiculous amount of time. Yeah. So, and um, the places I was going to be teaching at have all shut down now. So it's now sort of trying to figure out what we have. We've only just sort of started opening up over here. Um, you can't travel overseas very you know, easily or anything like that. Um, so, yeah, I'd like to, yeah, I don't, I don't even know what's, what this new world will bring really. Yeah. So I'm playing by ear now. and seeing what happens. Um, one of the things, because I've asked Claire about this in the past, and I, I and I was reminded of it going through your feed, because so especially recently, between um, the um, Land of Blood and Without Consent, and now your current unbelonging work, which is all, although it's all completely different in subject matter and the way you've approached it, but it it all has a feeling that's very distinctly you. Um, but you are also, your, your background, this is a portrait photographer, you've done fashion work, you've done all sorts of cool stuff on there. And um, every now and then, there'll be a bright, colourful picture of something that you've done within that. Um, are you finding it hard to kind of drop that stuff in because it is so jarring with what you're doing elsewhere? Or is that just not a thing you worry about at all? Uh, it is a bit. I've just redone my website. And so it's like trying to figure out you know what has to what can go and what i think i still like the occasional i mean i'm not yeah color yeah, i really don't know <laughs> what i it's i'm at that point where yeah i think i really i found what i love doing um anything else is probably be if you know for the money yeah rather than 
I mean, I love it. You've got a recent shoot that you shared on there, which um, it looks like you're doing for. I don't know whether it's a fashion company or something locally, but it was portrait work with this people wearing these amazing costumes, but it felt very you. The style felt very true to you. So I guess it, the hope is that as your work and your and you get recognised for what you're doing, that people will come to you yeah. because they want you to do that. That's what I'm planning. It's like if people come to me from now, it has to be work that I want to do. Yeah. Because yeah. that's what I found when I was doing the portraits and the weddings. You just you get burnt out because you're doing what other people want and not what you want. And mm. I've got to the point where yeah, it has to be what I want. And that, that, yeah, that fashion one was that was awesome because I originally went there, you know, with a digital camera doing it. And I said to her, look, how about we just try these large format prints? Just do a couple and we'll see what you think. And, um, yeah, so at the end of each digital shoot, I just, I did a couple of the large format, uh, the large format paper negatives, four by five paper negatives of her models. Mm -hmm. And when I showed her those, she was like, right, we've got to use, we're using those. And they've, they've been used for, um, all her advertising and just yeah, a big um she did a big catwalk thing and they were they were projected huge up above the models and yeah so it was like so that was pretty exciting that she went with those ones yeah yeah they're, they're, they're lovely I, also, I love that you're doing so much with paper negatives because um <laughs> the, the work is fantastic it's I mean, insane. <laughs> I've, I've, I've mucked around a bit with paper negatives recently and they're just they're so fun. They're so easy. It's also it's so so cheap, and and mm. what you're doing with them shows just how far that that can be pushed as well. It's like there you're taking away any excuse for people not creating amazing work. It's like yeah, this isn't about the money. This isn't about having the biggest and the best. It's like no, you've got an intrepid camera, which is a great camera, but it's a cheap camera, and <laughs> you've got you're using paper negatives, and it's all about what's inside your head and the, and how you have learnt the skills to express that and convey that it's fantastic um i want to pick your brains just very quickly as we get towards the end about a couple of things that you've got recently um that i'm intrigued by so you've been showing on your feed as part of your self-portrait work stuff that you've been shooting using the loma graph lock back um now this came out last year this is the uh, instax wide back for large format cameras mm. How have you found that? Because it's one of those things that I've looked at and gone, oh, that seems quite tempting, but you, you see the pictures that people are sharing and nothing's kind of blown me away. And then I saw a picture and went, okay, and I've been blown away. <laughs> um, what do you, you what are your one. thoughts? They're awesome. <laughs> I bought two because I loved it so much. I thought I need one for colour, one for black and white. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, was, I did the pre-order thing, so I'd been waiting, I don't know, what was it, a year before they were released. Mm. Um, and I just, I absolutely love it. I've got the Charmony 4.5 now, so I put that on. That goes on the Graflot back, and it's uh, – I'm shooting them in studio, and they're just – it's so good. It's so – they're just spectacular. Are you using them as proofs for work that you're doing, or are you using them to create end pieces in itself? They're, they're my end pieces. Yeah. So they're the work that's up there. That's the unbelonging work. Yeah. And the grief work, that's all um, – Oh, that's all on that, yeah, is it? all – all Instax, and then I'm scanning them in to sort of get them onto file. Yeah. So that they are the wow. They are the Instax bits. Oh, you're gonna cost me some money, Angela, because like I said, you so <laughs> much money. It's so expensive. <laughs> a, a few a few people have sort of said, "Oh, you should get one," and I'm like, "Oh yeah, yeah, they look good. They look good." And then I saw your picture, and went, "Oh damn it! <laughs> wow!" Because 
they they are doing exactly what you hope they would do, which is just allowing you to have a beautiful instant four by five picture. Well, not four by five, but not far off. Um, the other medium I want to ask you about, because you shared a portrait recently uh, of, I can't remember the lady's name, unfortunately, but a beautiful portrait shot on X-ray film. Mm-hmm. So um, is this something that you have recently come to uh there will be many parallels with using paper negatives but also some differences i <laughs> way, way more scratchy scratchy um how are you finding x-ray film to work with i'm loving that too yeah that's that's new i just got a box because it, it's pretty hard to find because most um dentists and things they go all going digital but um i found i've got a box um and i find it's a lot high like you it's about 80 iso so it's a lot faster than paper negative so you can sort of shoot it at reasonable speeds um, and then just develop it in Rodinol. Uh, you can do it under red light. So it's pretty much, so it's, and it's pretty much about the same development time as paper negatives. So it's very, very similar. It scratches easily, but um, it's not too expensive. It's a bit, because you have to get bites from America, the shipping does push up the price a bit, but even so it's cheaper than, cheaper than normal film. Um, and it's, yeah, I'm absolutely loving it. It's just, it's got beautiful tones. Um, you know, I did that portrait of Gina, who's a friend mm. of mine. And I've also recently done a portrait of uh, Andrew, who's an artist friend of mine as well. And it's, yeah, it's, I've, I've ended up buying another three boxes of the stuff just to have it. And I plan on doing quite a bit more with that. I think if I get clients, that will be what I'm shooting on because I'm shooting eight by 10 with that. Yeah. Do you mind if I ask how oh, this is now getting to very tech nerd talk? But uh, <laughs> but how are you actually handling that? Because uh, as I said the, the um, I'm hoping to get some soon, and the handling side of things because it is so easily scratched. How mm. how are you dealing with that? How are you handling it? How are you, you're not cutting it obviously because you're shooting it on eight by ten, but how are you dealing with processing it? I'm using this. Uh, is it this Steerman eight uh, the SP eight ten mm-hmm. tray? Uh, yeah, because I did a bit of Googling and a lot of people were saying how much trouble they were having with scratches with normal tray development. Um, and then some people were saying that the steam and tank was pretty good, which I, I have one. Um, and it's not too bad. I get the occasional scratches. I was getting a bit slack because originally I was using gloves to handle it and all that. And then I got a bit lazy and didn't. And then I had a few scratches. <laughs> Yay. But um, <laughs> so now I'm back to the, back to the gloves. Um, the gloves to load it and then gloves to put in the tank. And I think once it's fixed, it's pretty hard and it's it's like, yeah, it's it's awesome. It's like x-ray film and it's it's pretty tough once it's been fixed. Because mm. it's orthochromatic film, isn't it? So you're kind of getting that, yeah. that same, although it's not the same sensitivity, but it, it, it it's in the realm of the, the paper negative. So you've got that very distinctive look to it. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't have, um, doesn't have quite, like, I found it's not as contrasty. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's a nice contrast. I really like it. Um, it's sort of in between. I guess it's a little bit softer than because uh, I've shot the um, the DPP the uh, the was it you know the Harman instant. Oh yeah, the direct positive. Yeah, the stuff. direct positive. And yeah. that's just awful. Um, <laughs> it, it, it is a bit like switchy. I'm not sure you get that stuff to work because I can't. I I I I've, I've been mucking around with paper negatives and and I found. To, what I've been trying to do to tame the um, contrast on that is I've been mixing old spent developer with the fresh stuff, which <laughs> really calms it down. But that yeah. direct positive stuff, if that developer 
isn't super fresh. It just goes, mm-hmm. jog on, mate. <laughs> I'm not going to work. So, um, oh, no, that was doing my head in. I was trying everything with that. And mm. I've, I've got a whole roll of it and it's just, it's sitting under the stairs because it can just sit there for a while. <laughs> I, I love the fact that your, I love the fact that your test batch was a roll of it. And not just, I'll get some full by that. No, just by a big roll. Oh, no, I don't like it. <laughs> you sound like I somebody I used to house. know. <laughs> no. No, that's awesome. And the fact that it's got this ISO, the higher ISO, you sort of said about doing portraits for people, but I guess it is going to open up a, a new realm of creative possibilities that an ISO 6 paper negative just doesn't have. Mm. Yeah. Well, because I've just started recently working in studio. Like normally I was always outdoors and loving light, but I've discovered sort of studio lighting and paper negatives, it's just... I mean, you can do multiple bursts and all that stuff, but if you're working with a person, it's just, it's mm-hmm. really hard to get enough light to shoot them. Yeah. Whereas, uh, and then going from the Instax film, which is ISO, but so supposedly it's 800, but I found about yeah. 640 is about where it's good at. Yeah. You know, so then to go to ISO 640, and then, you know, between 6 and 640, it's a huge, you know, 80s, and, and the 80s still quite usable for people. So. It's it's nice. I like it. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, it's I nice to be able to shoot people and not have to worry about them sitting still. For yeah, them. you've got a beautiful <laughs> picture again. I'm afraid I can't remember the name of the gentleman in question, but I know you took, you made a portrait of a friend of yours who had um, recently lost his father, and mm. and the the portrait is titled "Grief." And I mean, it's just it is a beautiful picture, um, but it, you know, shot on paper negative, and as you said, he he had to sit real still for that. Um, but there is a quality that comes with that as well. I know we talked about it in the past with um, people like Simon Riddell's work and uh, doing the um, doing his uh, oh, I can't remember the process now with the the, the uh, wet plate um, prints and stuff like that. It's that you get something a quality from those as well. I suppose you haven't done wet plate yet. I bet you end up doing wet plate, don't you? It's oh, I've happen. done tintype. You've done tintype. Um, so there you go. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm actually um, I'm about to do a workshop. I'm going to a workshop that's. That's more dry plate, um, but yeah, I've got friends who do wet plate, and so that'll be sometime in the future. <laughs> yeah, th- th- this is the nice thing I, about paper negatives and X-ray film get an awfully long way towards the look of tin types and wet plate mm. without all of that <laughs> tin types and wet plate. That's where it sort of came from. It's like you know what I can get the look without you know. Quite as much work. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Ilford's orthochromatic film because you can get that in sheets. And you can, can you get that in eight by ten? The ortho film. Um, I've got the which one have I got? It's the um, oh, the ortho litho film. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've got that in eight by ten. I have shot that. That's very contrasty. Right. So that's kind of where this X-ray film, it's its a little bit softer. It's a bit easier. Like I do like the X-ray film and I think I have got some shots up on my Instagram that were taken with the litho film. Um, but that's ISO 25, so yeah. it's still a little bit slow. Yeah. But, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's that's incredibly, yeah, that's a little bit harder to tame, but it is still nice. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I'm very excited to try X-ray film, and uh, as somebody who has a long and storied history of being terrible at trashing negatives, <laughs> to have something that can scratch into a balloon is very exciting. <laughs> um, Claire, before we get out of here, is there anything else you would like to ask Angela about? 
No, I think, but I think Angela should tell us um, or tell listeners um, where they can um, view your work and, you know, see all your projects that we've been talking about. Um, yeah, well, I guess my Instagram is probably the main one, which I, uh, is, it's, I suppose I'll have to spell it too, but it's <laughs> A-N-J-E-L-L-A under slash R-O-E-S-S-L-E-R. So that's Instagram. And then my Facebook, I've also got Facebook, um, which is the same name, but with a dot instead of the underslash. Um, and also my website is www.angelarossler.com.au. Yeah. We'll make sure that the show, links are in Great. the show notes for yeah. all of this. Um, and the website's lovely, yeah. actually. I mean, I, I, the, it is, go, it is Yeah, go to the website because then you can see things big and this work deserves to be seen big. It is, it's beautiful work and it's a lovely, nice, nice, clean website. Very easy to find your way around. I love the fact that your About Me page is about two lines. <laughs> well, well, great. <laughs> I continue to know well, I've only nothing. just started redoing the website. <laughs> that made me laugh too. For this, but... Yeah, so there's still things missing. I, I do want more details on the without consent. Each one should, will eventually lead to its own page with um, more information about each of the of my women because with the some of them have um, you know photo uh, the um, newspaper articles and stuff. But at the moment, it's just the photos. But mm. it's it's all. Yeah, I don't think there needs to be much in the about me section really. <laughs> <laughs> disagree it's about the photos that's true it is about the photos and they are beautiful <laughs> photos I, I i sincerely hope that everyone listening today goes follows you on instagram and checks out your website because yeah. it it really yeah. is beautiful work i cannot overstate this enough it is um it's fantastic angela thank you so much for staying yes. up late to join us today we it's really really appreciate <laughs> it and uh, i look forward to speaking to you again in the future because i just can't mm. wait to see where your work goes and i know yeah. that there'll be future conversations that we will want to have together <laughs> thank you anytime we will play you out as always with rachel's fabulous band rocha uh, and you can find their music on Bandcamp, spotify wherever music is found uh we will be back with you uh, soon I'm sure with something so that'll be nice uh, if you want to get in touch with us drop us a line at sunny16podcast at gmail.com until then thank you so much for listening everybody and goodbye 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 <laughs>